My name is Eve Shatim Bell. I am the Assistant Vice President for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access. And as a part of that role, I'm the Title IX Coordinator. For those unfamiliar with Title IX, it's part of the Education Amendments of 1972 that prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in education programs and activities. Under Title IX, discrimination on the basis of sex can include sexual harassment or sexual violence, such as rape, sexual assault, sexual battery, or sexual coercion. Recently, UNT launched a campaign called Voluntary Consent, meant to address trends surrounding consent that Bell and her staff often noted in the reports their office received. And the trends indicated that there may potentially be some misunderstanding about what consent is, as opposed to um, sexual predators uh, on our campus. And so um, we decided that, you know, the students in the university community could use some education about the idea of a, affirmative consent, because let's be honest, affirmative con consent is not necessarily intuitive. Um, and so, you know, we decided to um, educate the university community. And um, about a week after we decided to do that, we hired an amazing new survivor advocate. My name is Kaylee Garcia, and I am um, one of the survivor advocates here uh, at the University of North Texas. I work in the Office of the Dean of Students. The first step was to define exactly what voluntary consent is. Words or actions that show an active, knowing, and voluntary agreement to engage in sexual activity. We use the term voluntary so that it's we take away force, we take away coercion, we take away anything that is um, trying to convince you to give that consent. Um, and so voluntary is super important. And then active is also important as well as enthusiastic. You want your partner to be enthusiastically ready to engage in that sexual activity. So that's one of the reasons why we chose the words voluntary. Housed under the Division of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access, more information about the Voluntary Consent Campaign can be found at idea.unt.edu slash voluntary hyphen consent. The site includes common lingo related to consent, along with local and national resources for sexual assault survivors and tips for what to do if you or someone you know has experienced sexual assault. On this episode of UNT Pod, join me, Erin Cristales, for a discussion with Bellin Garcia about the goals of the Voluntary Consent Campaign and the ways in which education can provide much-needed clarity surrounding consent. I'm curious because it feels like, you know, um, that confusion or maybe lack of clarity surrounding consent seems to be true at kind of any point in, in the lifespan. And so I'm wondering how you kind of see this um, helping people, maybe not just those who are in college, but even beyond, like once they're adults, once they're in their professional lives, like how, how do you see this program having an impact? I think that's a really good question. Um, impact wise, um, you know, I'm really hoping that this campaign can, again, shed light on the, the issue that we are lacking knowledge about what consent is and, and, and an education for that. And the truth of the matter is, is we have to start really young. 
when it comes to consent. And we are getting students who are coming in, you know, our student body last semester was 42,000 students. And I think we've got an increase since then. Um, and so they come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different styles of education. And there's a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding of our bodies and what consent is. And so if we can kind of push this, this very real issue, then it can just kind of it can just kind of reach so much more consent and boundaries of um, whether or not you want to be touched at all or just kind of that understanding of ourselves and the nature of, of how broad consent can reach. And, you know, with us being a university, everything that we do is not just with a, a, a focus or an eye on edifying our students while they're they're here with us, but, um, you know, it, it's a focus on edifying our students so that they can take that out into the world, um, what they've learned here, out into the world in both their personal lives and their professional lives, um, because consent is not only relevant to sexual assault. Um, it, it's not only relevant to intimate interactions. And so what we hope is that, you know, we're, we're empowering our students with, with knowledge that will help them in their careers and their personal lives um, as, as they progress through their lives. Beyond just the, the impact that you hope uh, the campaign has, how do you kind of plan to measure or define the program success, because I, you know, I imagine that can feel a little, not vague exactly, but, you know, challenging to see exactly how it, how it's paying off. So how do you kind of visualize seeing the impact and, and the ways to measure that success? So our director of communications for our division, uh, James Jackson, is amazing. And before we even started the campaign, James created some surveys to kind of get an understanding so that we can meet folks where they were in terms of their understanding of consent. We will continue to use that data. That survey is, is active on our, um, on our webpage currently and on the consent webpage. And we will continue to assess that data both quantitatively and qualitatively to see you know, whether our message is making an impact and to assess if we need to change course, if we need to change the message, things like that. And I think what's really great about um, these surveys in particular is we're also asking how these students found us. Um, that's kind of one of the first questions. Where did you find this website? Was it on one of our stickers? Was it on one of our posters? Was it on one of our outreach programs? So we're not only understanding what they understand about consent, but also about our outreach and, and how far that's actually getting out there. What I'm curious, when, when you're looking at how much they understand about consent, do you find there are major areas where people are kind of the most confused or maybe don't seem to have a, as good of a grasp on, on what consent is? Um, I would say there are two specific areas where I felt like we had a, a knowledge gap. Um, one being with regard to incapacitation and what the difference is between incapacitation and intoxication and um, what, you know, when someone is not able to give consent because they have consumed drugs or alcohol, wh when that line is. And, you know, I'll be honest, it's difficult for us at times as investigators to make that determination. And so I understand why it's difficult for young people who are just learning how to, how to manage um, alcohol use or, or use of other substances. And so 
Um, that's understandable. I think also traditionally, and I may be dating myself here, but when I grew up, we were always taught no means no. And I think that's a, a common phrase that, that people still will spout, but that is not what affirmative consent is. Affirmative consent is more yes means yes. And so trying to close that gap between no means no and yes means yes and, and get folks to understand that, to me, those were the two biggest areas. It was also really interesting to learn, we did some social media um, polls as well to that, um, the lack of knowledge uh, comes from an early age. We ask, you know, did your schools teach this? Did you come to college knowing what this is? And so understanding kind of what we're up against was really, really important. Well, I'm wondering too, you know, um, how have how have, have both of you seen the rhetoric surrounding consent change over the years? And do you find that those attitudes sometimes differ maybe based on age or gender or race or sexuality or religion. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I mean, the intersections of identities have such a has, has such an impact on the way that people see consent. Um, you know, you might be at a higher risk for um, sexual assault at younger ages because you're not being taught about your body and you're not being taught about how to tell somebody when you're hurt. You might be at higher risk when, um, you know, when we look at class and we look at people who are in foster care um, and you might be at risk if you are around certain adults who um, use coercive tactics and manipulation. And, um, and then we just, from a masculine way or a masculine frame or a patriarchal frame, when um, women are being taught to be obedient and not speak up for themselves, that's when we really are seeing some, but because like Eve said, we've been taught no means no and not yes means yes. And so we are not taught. Um, and I think we, you know, we do speak in gender binaries because the truth of the matter is, is females are mostly the ones who are being assaulted by their male counterparts. However, that is not a very good statistic to look at when it comes to the broad identity of gender, just because men don't come forward. And that's another huge thing when it comes to understanding consent and sexual assault is because men don't come forward because they don't understand what happened to them or they feel shame. Um, and when we're not teaching consent in same-sex relationships, they also don't understand the ramifications of what just happened to them because uh, we're not being, they're not being taught. They're not being taught how these things kind of happen to their bodies. And it takes, it takes a long time. And so when we're looking at these statistics and we're trying to understand who lacks knowledge, when they, when it takes months, years to understand that you've been assaulted, then we've got a large gap of information. And so the intersections of all of those things absolutely intertwine. Kaylee is, is our resident expert on intersectionality with respect to consent. Um, so I really have nothing else that, that amazing to offer, but I will say from, from another perspective, there is definitely a difference in understanding of, of what consent means between women and men, I will say, between our male and female students. Um, and, I think that is another gap that that we're trying to fill um, in with our with our consent education campaign. If you are a victim of sexual assault, or you know if that consent has been violated, um, or maybe you know someone who has experienced that, 
what are some of the best resources to reach out to for help, especially here on campus and maybe in the larger North Texas community? So on campus, uh, the, you know, a really good first stop is my office. Uh, it's Suite 411 and the student union. Um, you know, my job is to um, help survivors of domestic violence, stalking, harassment, sexual assault, um, a vast array of, of different types of trauma. And so I am ready and prepared to assist in any and all resources, whether that's um, housing, whether that's, I mean, food insecurity, whether that's, um, you know, moving classes, moving dorm rooms, all, all sorts of things. So we are armed and equipped. Um, as for the community at large, um, if you don't have a local rape crisis center, um, RAIN, the first stop is, uh, is a good one is RAIN. Um, what RAIN does when you call that hotline is it patches you into the nearest rape crisis center that is associated with your area code. So if you don't have one to Texas, then there might be that issue. Um, the Denton County Friends of the Family is both a domestic violence shelter as well as they have what's called a SART team, sexual assault response team, um, who will as assist in a legal advocacy and hospital advocacy. So when you go to the hospital, they will call, somebody will be sent out um, to assist and to be your advocate while you're actually in the hospital and during your entire stay in the hospital. Um, there's the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center. Um, they're the standalone rape crisis center in Dallas. There's Turning Point in the Plano area and the Women's Center in uh, the Fort Worth area. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious too, what led um, both of you to the roles that you're in now? Is there anything that kind of inspired you to, to take on what I imagine is a challenging job and, and you know, um, what have you learned from, from being in these roles? Yeah. <laughs> um... I, uh, I started getting my undergrad uh, in communication science at Texas Women's University um, like 10 years ago now. Uh, and while I was there, because it's a women's university, you have to take multicultural women gender courses. Um, and as I started that, I realized that I was in the wrong field. I knew that I wanted to help people, um, but I just, my mind just kind of started to to broaden. Um, but unfortunately at that time I was also in a domestic violence relationship, um, which really affected my studies. It really affected my resources. And, um, I didn't know that the Dean of students existed. I didn't know a lot of things that could have been there to help me. Um, and I didn't start out in higher education. I've worked, um, in local rape crisis centers. I've worked in local domestic violence shelters and, um, it, it's just amazing how much um, I have learned. And when I got my master's here at UNT and I was working the master's in women and gender, um, my, thesis, my thesis research focuses on um, pedagogy and um, how we learn about sexual assault and how survivors learn about sexual assault um, and how we learn to advocate for those people or for those, for those peoples. And um, so, you know, through that research, I really just dived into like, how do we what outside sources happen that create like our knowledge about sexual assault and how do we learn to um, advocate for those people and, and, and make really important changes. So that's all of my, all of my research and all of my resources. And this is a passion of mine. And um, I love being in higher education because I think that I can, I'm really trying to make these, these connections and these reaches to people to really teach people 
you don't have to do my job to be an advocate. You don't have to work at rape crisis centers to be an advocate. Being an advocate is being in a party and seeing your friend, um, you know, going into situations that maybe aren't so good. And we, you know, we teach bystander inter intervention here at UNT and that's up and coming. And um, so this is really just a lifelong passion of mine that I don't, I don't really ever see myself leaving. <laughs> you know, we get a lot of burnout questions and things like that, but this is, um, this is my life's work. Um, so apparently it's my life's work too, but I, I was a little later to come to the realization than Kaylee was. Um, I'm an attorney by practice and I worked for about a decade for the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights and we enforced Title IX. Um, and so I would see things after the school had messed them up and they, you know, the, the, survivor or the parents had filed a complaint with the federal government. And I really fostered an interest in wanting to prevent some of these missteps that, that schools probably in good faith and, and inadvertently make. And so um, I've, I've been involved in education in some way uh, for pretty much my entire career. Um, but, you know, coming to UNT was my first time in higher ed. And like Kaylee, I, I, I love it. And um, what I've learned is that having an impact on students proactively can be a legacy for us um, because the things that we teach our students, as I mentioned earlier, they take them out into the world and um, pollinate that, that knowledge and information. If you are a UNT student, survivor advocate at unt.edu if you have any questions if you want to get involved um, if um, you know somebody or you just need help finding resources uh, I am I am a good resource for finding resources <laughs> so um, happy to speak to anybody about um, uh, about th this issue um, so I really appreciate being able to kind of pop on this and, and talk about something I love so much yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity, Erin. We appreciate um, being able to talk about this. Thank you for listening to UNT Pod. To learn more about the Voluntary Consent Campaign, please see the link in our show notes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and TikTok at UNT Social and on Instagram at UNT. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>